If you would turn back to the passage that Eddie read a few moments ago, Isaiah chapter 40. Here in Isaiah chapter 40, we find great instruction concerning the proclamation of the gospel. It's an instruction in preaching is what it is. And we're told how our iniquity, how our sin is pardoned. That's of great interest to me. It's in this chapter that the coming of Christ's forerunner, John the Baptist, is foretold. And it's also in this chapter that John's message of comfort, the gospel, that's a message of comfort, isn't it? We see it described in these verses. And there's no doubt that the preaching of the gospel is the comfort of God's elect people. And in the verses before us this morning, we have the pattern of all true preaching. And it's a very simple outline with basically two points. Who man is and who God is. Who does the sinning and who does the saving? This simple outline of gospel preaching given by the Holy Spirit exposes just how far the message, the preaching of modern day religion has fallen short. It falls way short of comforting God's sheep. And as we look at John's message, we find great comfort in this simple yet profound gospel given to us by God. Again, verse 3, speaking of John the Baptist, we read, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Recently, someone was telling me about a preacher that they listened to regularly, and their comment was, he's so funny and entertaining. Has modern day preaching been reduced to comedy and entertainment? It sure seems so. Entertainment has replaced preaching, but John the Baptist crieth. To cry means to publish, to proclaim, to preach with fervency and passion. To preach the gospel is to cry with conviction and with urgency, declaring the only means that God has given us to eternal life. After all, the gospel is a message of life and death. Folks sure don't act like it is. David said, He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. Psalm 68, 20. David's son, Solomon, wrote, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. John's voice was a voice that cried. What was John's message? What did John cry? He cried, Prepare ye the way. What way? The way of the Lord. Friends, the message of salvation is the way of the Lord, and it's the only way. Salvation is the way of the Lord. Salvation is Jesus Christ who is the way. And no man and no woman, no sinner comes to the Father for salvation but by Him. No other way than in Christ. No other way to get to God. No other way to receive his mercy and grace. And John cried with urgency. He cried with passion. He cried as one who warned sinners, pointing them to the Lord Jesus. He said, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Now, true preachers cry in this wilderness world in which we dwell, and in this desert of a world, they make straight a highway for our God through preaching. Christ is that highway. He's that only way to redemption and life eternal. And that was John's message. And that's our message. That was John's message for the coming of Christ as his forerunner. And it's our message for his second coming. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, does that mean that we are to prepare our own way? Does that mean that we're to straighten ourselves up? Well, obviously that's what the multitude and religion think it means. I've told you this before, when I was a child and misbehaved, and I might add that was quite often, my parents would often say, young man, you better straighten up. Was that John's message? Is that our message? Well, sadly, it's the message that I hear preached today. Preachers today are telling sinners to do the impossible. No sinner who's dead in trespasses and sin, and all sinners are, No sinner can by a work of righteousness that they do make themselves acceptable unto God who requires perfection. John's message was for sinners to repent. John preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But hear me when I say that we cannot provide the perfection that God requires by just simply repenting of our sins. Why? Because we've already sinned. Why? Because we've already broken God's law. We've already offended God's justice. If we offend the law in one point, we're guilty of the whole law. Repenting of our sin does not excuse the sin that we've already committed. Repenting does not remove the offenses that we're already guilty of. Repentance is simply the proof of a work already done by God in the believer's heart. If God grants you repentance, God's already done a work of grace in your heart. Repentance is a God-given desire put in the believing sinner's heart to come to Christ who is the great physician who makes us well and whole. Those that are well have no need of a physician and therefore will not repent. But those whom God has shown their great disease, have you seen your disease? Has God shown you your disease of sin? Those who have seen their great need, they will repent. And it's God who makes their way straight, not them. And it's by causing and enabling them to embrace Christ, God the Son, who came to save His people from their sin. This is the message that John preached. You know, this religious world has somehow imagined that they can, by their own doing, make their way straight. But our Lord said, without me, you can do nothing. And in our text, the Hebrew word interpreted there, prepare, is very much the same Hebrew word that we translate in English as repent. The word prepare here in verse 3 of Isaiah 40 does not mean to make ourselves ready for eternal life. The word actually means to be turned back. Repent means to turn You know, it's like the military term about face. If the sergeant hollers out about face, you know what they do? They turn around, don't they? We're to turn from ourselves and our works to look to Christ. He's the highway for our God to receive us. It's Christ who brings us to God on this narrow and straight road. 
Christ is the only one who can turn us to God. Jeremiah said, turn thou me and I shall be turned for thou art the Lord my God. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Lamentations 5.21. That's what's wrong with today's preaching. Men and women today are in the process of saving themselves. Men and women have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. And preachers have not told sinners the truth about themselves and about God. Today, it's all about what men do for God, not what God does for sinners. The popular message today for preachers is to plead with sinners to serve God when they should be pleading with sinners to beg for mercy and grace. Like that publican that went up into the temple to pray, his prayer was, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now men cry to the sinner to do something for God. They say ignorant things, like God's done all he can do. He's left the rest up to you. Does that sound like God to you? Preachers say God wants to save you. Won't you let God have his way? Men have reduced God to be a, a beggar. A helpless beggar at that. They say ridiculous things like God's made salvation possible. But now you've got to let go and you've got to let God. By your choice, by your decision, you the sinner have got to close the deal. I think about that poor unclean leper that came to the Lord Jesus. Well, his flesh was rotting away. He was in bad, bad shape. So's an unsaved sinner. All of us are born of corruptible seed. Do you remember what that leper said? He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And you remember what the Lord did? He immediately put forth his hand and he touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately he was. You see, the Lord Jesus is both willing and able. He doesn't make salvation possible. He makes it for certain. Bartimaeus wasn't sitting on the side of the road in order to do something for Jesus. Bartimaeus needed the Lord to do something for him. He sat by the wayside begging. He was the beggar, not God. It's the same with every sinner. We need Christ to do something for us. God didn't find grace in the eyes of Noah. That's the way men preach today. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Did Noah do God a favor by building the ark? No. The ark Noah built was to the saving of Noah and his house. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. My, my men today preach with an emphasis on heaven and hell. The theme of preaching today is, don't you want to go to heaven? And men's point of pleading with sinners is, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Salvation is not about heaven or hell. Salvation is about Christ and our sin. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, Savior. Why? For he shall save his people from their sin. Christ is preached by men today as an admission ticket to heaven and a far escape from hell. But Paul and every child of God counts all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Our desire is to win Christ and to be found in Him. 
It's the only way that our sin can ever be put away. Many professions of faith in Christ are made only with the desire of escaping and avoiding hell. The minds and hearts of men and women today are on pearly gates and streets of gold and mansions in glory in heaven and they can't wait to go cloud hopping with Jesus. Well, where is the remorse? Where's the regret? Where's the repentance of sin? Where's the desire and the yearning for the Savior who can put sin away and put it away forever? Friends, we aren't heading to a place. We're heading to a person. Heaven's not a place. Heaven's a person. Heaven will be heaven because Christ will be there. Concerning the various beliefs of religious denominations today, I've heard men say, well, we're all heading to the same place. We're just traveling different roads. Listen, don't you believe that? Don't you believe it? There's one way that leads to life. Christ is that way. Christ is the highway to our God. There's a broad way, a broad road, and it leads to destruction. There's a way that seemed right unto a man, but it's the way of death. But there's a straight way. There's a narrow way that leads to life. And the Lord Jesus said, I am that way. To the repentant thief on the cross, Christ said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The emphasis was not put on heaven or paradise, but on Christ. He was going to be with Christ. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. He said, which is far better. Paul didn't have his heart set on a mansion in heaven. Paul had his heart set on Christ. Yes, men fear hell. And for that reason, they very often make a false profession in Christ as some kind of an insurance policy against going to hell. Yes, men fear hell, but never consider the wrath and the judgment of God against their sin, against their offenses that they've committed against Him and Him alone. You know the verse well. We quote it all the time. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And our sin is against God. Our sin against God is what should cause us to fear. Our sin is what will send us to hell. But David went on to say in verse four there of Psalm 51, that because of our sin against God, that God is justified. He's right. He's just when he speaks against us. We're guilty and deserving of death. God is clear of any injustice in judging us and condemning us to an eternity void of His presence. That's what hell is. It's being forever separated from God. Christ didn't come into the world to save people from hell. Christ came into the world to save His people from their sin. Now, on one hand, I don't know of anybody that wants to go to hell. Do you? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Yet on the other hand, I don't know many, if any, apart from a few here and a few there that want deliverance from their sin. I don't know many, if any, that want to know Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can put their sin away so that it's gone forever. I think about old Simeon. He saw the Lord Jesus and he said, let me now depart in peace according to thy word. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. 
See, salvation's in a person, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Modern-day preaching has become a message to the head and not to the heart. Even gospel preachers, myself included, preach very often what we believe and not who we believe. There's a big difference. We know what we believe, but Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able. Christ is able. Oh, we teach the true doctrines of Scripture. We preach and teach God's sovereignty. Oh, I love the sovereignty of God. Wouldn't have it any other way. We preach and teach the election of grace. I love the election of grace, don't you? Wouldn't have it any other way. We teach and preach predestination. We teach and proclaim all the amazing and all the wonderful attributes of God. But if we miss Christ in the preaching of our doctrines, then we've missed preaching the gospel altogether. Men talk a lot about what they believe. They talk a lot about when they believe. But where is the talk about who we believe. And it's becoming more apparent to me every single day that it's easy to talk about having faith. And it's a whole other thing to live like we do. It's easy to believe God when your faith's not tested. But the real test of faith is believing God when you're in trouble, when things get tough and doubts and fears assail. Do we confess with David, it's good for me that I've been afflicted? It's good for me that I've been afflicted because it's then that we learn something of God's statutes, something of God's divine appointments. That meaning the appointed trouble that God sends. It's God that sends the trouble. God appoints and sends these troubles and He does so for our good. How so? God sends the trouble so that we'll trust in Him in the midst of our trouble. And that's exactly what James meant when he said faith without works is dead. Being alone, confessing to have faith without the action, the act of believing what God says is dead. We show our faith to be true faith by the act of our believing. Our action in believing doesn't save us, but it sure proves that God's already saved us. The difference between the professor of faith and the doer of faith is really quite distinct. The false professor says, oh, I trust in God. But when trouble comes, they falter. When trouble and trials and affliction comes, they're afraid. But when trouble afflicts the believer, the child of God, the one who's trusting in Christ and Him alone, they, God's sheep, follow the shepherd. You see, the believer walks with God. James said, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And friends, it's a long, long 12 inches from the head to the heart. And only God can make the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ that's heard with these ears and make them effectual right here in the heart. A long 12 inches. Now look at verse four. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that John's preaching, gospel preaching, the preaching of the gospel shall exalt every valley. It means that every sinner who is made low with the guilt of their sin, those that are humbled by God in their own eyes, they shall be exalted. They shall be raised. They shall be comforted by Christ. 
And the preaching of God's gospel should cause those who are elated with themselves, with pride, trusting in their own righteousness, to be humbled and brought low. That's what the Lord said himself. He said, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Isaiah continues here in verse four by saying, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. You know, the the prophecies, the shadows and the types of the Old Testament, they were dark and seen very dimly by the Old Testament believers. But with the coming of Christ and the preaching of, of him crucified, the salvation of sinners by divine revelation becomes clearer and easier to see. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, Second Peter 3.18. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse five, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Divine revelation, Christ himself is the brightness of his Father's glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Read on verse five. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now all flesh there is not talking about everyone in the whole world. It's referring to the Gentiles along with the Jews. This scene is not referring to man's physical eyes, but it refers to the eyes of our understanding that are being enlightened by the Lord himself. And again, we see the message here. Again, we see what John is to cry. This is what John the Baptist preached. Look at verse six. The voice said, cry. Not the voice of John, not the voice of an angel, but the voice of the Lord. It's the Lord that gives this gospel message to the prophet Isaiah and to every gospel preacher. What are we to cry? Read on verse six. And he, John the Baptist said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. That's the first point in this simple two-point outline. All flesh is grass. We're to boldly declare the frailty and the mortality of men and women alike. While man in his best state is altogether vanity, Concerning man, the scriptures say, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none righteous, not a single solitary person. There's none that seeketh after God. While we've all sought and gone our own way. Preachers today preach as though they're afraid to offend someone. The apostle Paul preached and he was afraid that he wouldn't. Paul believed that if the offense of the cross was gone, that he wasn't preaching the gospel. Modern day preachers come forth with their credentials and their doctorates and their degrees, but God called preachers come forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Preachers today are hard to preach what their church and their denomination and their seminaries want them to preach. But God's preachers come forth preaching, thus saith the Lord. Preachers today preach and men move from their seats to the front of the church. Men preach and men move their membership depending on whether they like what you preach or don't like what you preach. But when the preacher of God preaches, God moves men and women's hearts. There got to be conviction before conversion. God empties before he fills. God abases before he exalts. God kills before he makes alive. 
God said, cry, cry that all flesh is grass and all the goodliness thereof is as of the flower of the field. All man's goodness is as the flower of the field, which appears lovely for a while, but then fades away. All friends in our flesh, there dwells no good thing. In the flesh, no man can please God. Verse seven, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. When the spirit of God blows upon this flesh of ours, when the light of God's holiness shines on this flesh, when the perfect word of God exposes this flesh, when the law of God touches this flesh, it's seen for what it is. It's dead. It's withered. It's corrupt. It's rotten. Flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If every preacher today would preach as John the Baptist did, we'd be hearing folks praying this way, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Peter stood in the power of the Holy Spirit and he preached to his hearers the truth about themselves. He said, this same Jesus that you hated without a cause, this Jesus, the same Jesus that you took with your wicked hands and have crucified and slain, this same Jesus that you would not have to rule over you, God has made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ, and God's made him the one with whom you have to do. And you know what the scriptures say happened after that? When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Well, I remember when I first heard the gospel, that was my question. What am I going to do? What shall we do? We're going to have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the only hope that we have. And that brings me to the second point of God's outline for gospel preaching. And I I know I've got to be brief. My time is about up. But it's found in the last phrase of verse 9. Look at it with me. It says, Behold your God. All flesh is grass. Behold your God. Behold your God. If a man or a woman ever gets lost, you can tell them to behold their God. And when a sinner sees that they're lost, they'll see that they need this Savior. They need this God. Until God shows you your need, you'll never desire this Savior. I can't tell you what I mean as good as God can. So just look at verse 10 with me. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Look at this, verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. The people of God are compared to sheep. You know why? Because they're prone to wonder, just like sheep are. Why are the people of God compared to sheep? Because they have great need. They're powerless in self-defense. They're unable to escape from their enemies. Without the shepherd, they would perish. Such are the people of God. We're timid, we're weak, we're defenseless. We're unable to provide for ourselves. 
totally dependent on the great shepherd. And it's our shepherd that makes us to lie down in green pastures. It's he that leads us beside the still waters. It's Christ that restores our souls. It's the great shepherd that leads us in the paths of righteousness. And he does so for his own great namesake. It's his rod and his staff that comforts us, that keeps us safe. And it's because of him that goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And he's the only reason that we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's the only reason, dear sinner, behold your God. He's a just God and Savior. Put all you trust in him, all of it. God will see to it that you'll reside with him in glory forevermore. Did you earn it? No. Do you deserve it? Absolutely not. Did you do something to merit it? One who's dead can do nothing. All flesh is grass. Salvation is all of grace. All of grace. May God make that effectual to your heart and to mine.